We're starting things off this week on Lockdown Bearcats with a familiar face. Russ Heltman from All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated joins me today to talk the Bearcats draft class and Rayvon Griffith, Landers Nolly, all things on the hardwood as well. That's on today's episode of Lockdown Bearcats. Our Lockdown Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. Hope you all had a great Mother's Day weekend. Alex Frank here with you, former sports director of Bearcats Media, UC's student-run media organization. Made a lot of connections with those who cover the team professionally, those in the athletic department. One of those connections has been on the show multiple times recently. We're having him on again today. He's Russ Heltman, all Bearcats writer, also writes for Sports Illustrated. He also writes for all Bengals, and he's also a radio show host and producer on WMKV 89.3 in Cincinnati. Russ, I'm going to quote you from what you messaged me on Twitter last week. What a freaking time for this, what a freaking weekend for this school, man. Just put it in perspective, the draft class for Cincinnati, Rayvon Griffith committing on the hardwood. I mean, how great of a weekend was it for the Bearcats? When you look at the impact it had on the football team with a record-breaking nine Bearcats drafted, the third most of any team in college football this season, sending players to the NFL, and they land the seventh highest rated recruit in the 24-7 sports era on the hardwood. You could argue, Alex, that this was the most impactful weekend maybe this century for Bearcats athletics when you combined the football and the basketball impact all within a 72-hour span. It's amazing to me that Curtis Brooks – and I, I, people, and for those listening, you might be wondering, why am I starting with Curtis? Why are we starting with Curtis Brooks? Well, we knew eight players for sure were going to get drafted, but we weren't really sure about Curtis Brooks. I know, Russ, you were pulling for him on this show two weeks ago. He gets drafted, seventh round. Then, as if an added bonus was needed or wasn't needed, Joel DeBlanco uh, signs with the New Orleans Saints as an undrafted free agent. So 10 Bearcats were either drafted or signed by an NFL team. Uh, but let's go Two more as well. Michael Young is an Indianapolis Colt and Vinny McConnell didn't get signed necessarily, but he will be in attendance at Pittsburgh Steelers camp. The Bearcats offensive lineman will. So 12 guys with their yeah. shot to get a chance and stick in the NFL. Very cool so to see. 12. That's more than Alabama. That's more than Penn State. That's more than Notre Dame. The only two teams for us with more draft picks this or, or during draft weekend, LSU and Georgia. How about that? What did Georgia end up having? 15, something like that? Five five first-round picks on defense. Yeah, beat me right to it. Five first-round picks from that defense. George Pickens, I think, was right there as well with the Steelers in the top 50 picks, (laughs) the wide receiver. So, man, like the Georgia team, it just goes to show you who is developing well across the country, who is taking what they have and turning it into taking diamonds in the rough and sprucing them up a little bit. And then when you look at the the developmental factor of the Bearcats compared to these other teams where they're putting two-star, three-star, no-star guys into the NFL, where ways, I'm not going to say it's easy to put 15 players in the NFL or put 10 players in the NFL if you're LSU, but the uh, the talent pool that they're, they're drafting from, so to speak, in the recruiting rankings – 
are uh, it's just a completely different playing field than the playing field that this group of players from UC was coming out of back in 2018, 2019, 2017, when the majority of these guys all came into the program. I think the player who most embodies that coming from um, not being highly recruited out of high school, but developed at the University of Cincinnati is Sauce Gardner all the way to the number four overall pick in the draft. Russ, how do you see Sauce Gardner faring in the NFL? Do you think he's going to have a really good career? I mean, I said on this show on Friday, I asked the question, can Sauce Gardner be the next, ready for this? I know I know you know this name, Darrell Revis. I mean, can he be that good? Sauce Island has a nice, has a nice ring to it, to it say does. the least. He can be that good, and the Jets are drafting him to be that good. Not necessarily Hall of Fame, first ballot, arguably best player of the 2005 to 2015 decade span there when he really started to uh, make his impact on the league in terms of Darrell Revis. But they are drafting him to be a top five cornerback in the NFL for a three, four, five-year stretch once he hits his prime. And I think that's exactly what he can bring. It's funny. Peter Schrager was on Bill Simmons' podcast last week saying that the Jets were locked in on Sauce for weeks. He was their guy at number four, and they were just only worried about the possibility of the Texans with their need at cornerback as well taking him. But they obviously went the route of Derek Stingley, and you have two cornerbacks taken in the top five, rarely does that ever happen. I should have crunched the numbers and figure out the last time that did happen, but you don't see it very often. And when you think about Sauce in that Jets defense with Robert Sala, the amount of talent that they just influxed into that roster over the past two drafts alone, I, th- I believe they were the only team last year to draft three players with a scouts ink grade of 90 plus. And then they were the only team in the history of Scout League dating back to 2004. This year, the Jets Jets drafted three players of a 92 grade or better in terms of Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, and Jermaine Johnson all in the first round there. So the history and the record-setting marks in terms of the talent pool the Jets are bringing in makes you really optimistic if you're a fan of the green and white. And when you look at the pieces surrounding Gardner on that defense, he's not necessarily going to be completely all alone in terms of the the synchronicity you need between a strong back end secondary and a strong front seven front four defensive line which I think now with the likes of Quinn and Williams and the return of Carl Lawson Bengals fans know him well from the Achilles injury to go along with Jermaine Johnson and the rest of the influx of talent along that front it should set sauce up very well to maybe hit that prime a little bit earlier than most NFL cornerbacks hit it I, I don't mind rooting for the New York Jets. I mean, what have they done since 2010? They've been a franchise that struggled, but you mentioned how well they've drafted the last two seasons. I, I thought their first round this year, Russ, was incredible with the guys that they got. Sauce Gardner, of course, Garrett Wilson of Ohio State. That's going to give Zach Wilson a vertical threat. And it's also Jermaine Johnson. He's going to help the defensive front, which when the Jets are good historically, at least in my lifetime and your lifetime, they have had very strong defensive fronts. Right, and they've only been good for three years of our lifetime, essentially. Basically, from uh, from my, I was born in '97 to today. It's been that what in 2009, 2010 team where they went to back to back AFC championships. Bart Scott, the heart and soul of that defense, headed up by Rex Ryan. Like you said, Alex, it was all predicated on that defense being able to get stop after stop and set up the. Uh, the hard-nosed rushing attack play-action game with Mark Sanchez. So, yeah, like you said, there's uh, especially fans in Cincinnati who are basking in the drunken glory of going to the AFC title game for the first time since the 80s. 
you can root for the Jets a little bit unless they play the Bengals. They're, they're, just, they're just a little brother out in New York. Yeah, you know, which there's they no reason will. to worry about New York just yet. But like we said, with those five players they've drafted in the past couple of years, everybody rooting for the green and white is expecting a quick turnaround very quickly, which very soon. The, yeah, and the Bengals do play at New York again yep. this season, so that'll be fun to see Sauce Gardner cover the likes of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Do you like Sauce? I, I think you've implied this already, but you like Sauce Gardner going to New York. I think it's a great place for him to go with his personality. I mean, Dan Hoard, who was on this show last week, kind of referenced Deion Sanders in the same. He referenced Deion Sanders in the same sentence as Sauce Gardner in terms of personality. That's a strong comparison there. It is, and obviously, Dion, I believe, was the last. Was he the last corner to go number one overall? I'm pretty sure he was back in the in the early '90s late 80s. So the fact that he is drawing those kind of comparisons, I think are warranted personality wise. Like Dion was one of those guys that I believe he's kind of like sauce, pretty straight lace. They weren't necessarily going out and getting twisted all the time, going and getting messed up. Uh, no drinking, no smoking for sauce. And that's exactly what you want to see for a guy going into a hotbed media situation like New York City, where he's got a strong head on his shoulders. He's committed. He's focused on what he needs to do at the NFL level. And, I'm, and and that to me is part of the, not the overarching part of the equation, but part of the equation for why New York was so comfortable and so willing to uh, to tell reporters and kind of give the inside lingo prior to the draft that if Sauce was there, we're pulling the trigger on. All right, coming up, Russ, I'm going to ask you about Desmond Ritter because I know we talked a lot about him last week, where he could end up. I like where he ended up with the Falcons. I'm going to ask you what you think about his prognostications. Can he be the starting quarterback for the Falcons next year and how good he can be uh, in that offense? But first, I got to tell everybody about Bilt Bar because summer is coming, and with the summer, you're going to need some food on the go. So why not put some Bilt Bars uh, in your backpacks, and you can take those on your family vacations. I'm flying back home tomorrow, and, and yes, Russ, I'm going to have some Skyline Chili, but the best part about Bilt Bars is they're healthy and delicious, so you don't have to sacrifice delicious food for health, and with Bilt Bar, you can have both. It's easy. All you have to do is go to Bilt.com and order now. They've got dozens of flavors like banana cream pie and churro. Those are for the puffs, too, and who wouldn't want a protein bar that tastes like a churro? I love me some churros. They only contain... 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and excuse me, net carbs each, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar. That usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. So go to Built.com and get all your favorites. Use LOCK15, promo code LOCK15, get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Russ Heltman from all Bearcats and Sports Illustrated on Lockdown Bearcats today. Alex Frank here with you as usual every day. Russ Desmond Ritter, we talked about it last week. I think both of our worst nightmares, and I think a lot of people in Cincinnati had this too, was that he would end up getting drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. That thankfully did not happen. He ends up falling to the third round, 74th overall. But I like where he's going with the Atlanta Falcons. I think there's a chance that he could be the starting quarterback down in Atlanta. It's definitely seeming like Desmond Ritter is thinking that way after he uh, told t GM Terry Fontenot that the league's gonna gonna regret. Used a little expletive in there as well to uh, to voice his frustration. Got to clear up one thing from the last segment. I said Deion Sanders was the number one overall pick. Completely false on that. Was a top five pick though in the 1989 draft. So there you go. Sauce Gardner in the top five. Those are the expectations. 
for a player of that caliber. Getting back to Ritter, though, I mean, how do you not start him day one unless it is clear and obvious that he is not ready to play NFL football? Seriously, if you're the Falcons, you get him with a third-round pick, so that means you're not really invested in him totally. You're not giving up a ton of capital, giving up a ton of investment. If you tank this year, win three or four games, and end up drafting a C.J. Stroud or a Bryce Young next year. And so the only way you would probably tank that hard and be that bad is if Desmond Ritter is just a bad, as bad alongside that. And the only way to find that out is by giving him first-team reps and by playing him in games. So to me, Alex, I see him, if not being the first starter, the first rookie to see actionable time on the field, being at least number two and definitely will be on the field by week eight, I would guess. It's it's a neck-and-neck neck race between him and Kenny Pickett in my eyes, and I do see Desmond Ritter. I think he's better than Kenny Pickett. I think Mitch Trubisky's better in his starting position right now than Marcus Mariota is in his starting position in Atlanta, if that makes sense. He's starting off at a, at a more palatable level for the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching staff versus the level that Mariota's at for the Falcons coaching staff. So all those factors – put them together, I think Desmond Ritter should be a day one starter for the Falcons to at least just see what you have. How does Desmond Ritter, in your opinion, fit into Atlanta's offense? Obviously, they have a second-year head coach, Arthur Smith. He was a great offensive coordinator at Tennessee. How does he fit in with the offense, and how good can that offense be? Because I look at their roster, and I I see Cordero Patterson. I see Kyle Pitts, who was – I mean, his name circulated throughout the Queen City last year. I see Drake London, first-round pick out of USC. I see an offense that has potential, and I just think Desmond Ritter can be the guy at quarterback to unlock it. Yeah, the question mark to me is that offensive line, bottom half of the league. It's been bad really the past five years, half decade. It has not been up to the level that you need to contend in terms of that offensive line play for the Atlanta Falcons, but I think that's why you surround your offense with quarterbacks like Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. They have that athletic ability. They have that running ability. And when you look at what Arthur Smith did with Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, I see a mirror image trying to be replicated right here. Desmond Ritter has all of the same tools. I'd say he's even a little bit faster, more athletic than Ryan Tannehill. They kind of have a similar robotic-esque process where they aren't quite as fluid and they aren't quite as able to make things happen outside of structure. But when you direct them in the right spot and you give them the right plays and the right sets and the right timing on those high-low throws, I think they, they can both be really, really solid quarterbacks. And they both have those kind of accuracy issues as well when you think about Tannehill and Desmond Ritter. So I see Arthur Smith trying to build a mirror image, if not very similar type of offense to the one he ran two years ago and for, what, three years, uh, two two years with Ryan Tannehill before coming back and taking over Atlanta. It's interesting to me because when Arthur Smith and the Titans had success on offense, it was when after Marcus Mariota was benched. So yeah, right. There, there is some – I think there might be something to that. And, and I will also say this. Hopefully this number four in Atlanta doesn't get traded like some, traded like some other number four for Atlanta did uh, in the 1990s. I think his name is Brett Favre. I'm sure you've heard of him, Russ. Yeah, there's a new uh, there's a new number four quarterback in Atlanta. Desmond Ritter announced uh, over this weekend, or in the oh. last week, that he yeah. is going to be wearing number four. 
And this one's here to stay this time. The Falcons better not make the same mistake 30 years later. Anyway, so let's talk about Alec Pierce because I, again, great situation for him. He's going to the Indianapolis Colts. I see an, an opportunity for him to make an impact right away for a Colts receiving core that's thin. It doesn't have a lot of stars in front of him. It's also got a veteran quarterback in Matt Ryan. It's got a strong running game, great offensive line. I've, I don't I don't think Alec Pierce could have ended up in a better situation, and he got drafted in the second round. I think it's perfect for Alec Pierce. When you think about him going to a veteran quarterback situation in Matt Ryan, he's done a great job highlighting young receivers throughout his career, whether it's Julio Jones all the way up to Calvin Ridley in his rookie season. I could see Alec Pierce having that kind of impact, and the Colts can see it happening too. They use their first pick of this draft in their coffers, to select Alec Pierce. And I think the skill set is going to be actionable and usable no matter where he ends up sliding in, whether it's the slot receiver position, whether he beats out a guy named, uh, beats out a Paris Campbell for that second receiver spot alongside Michael Pittman Jr. There is a lot of different scenarios where Alec Pierce could get on the field for 60, 75 snap averages per game this year. And I see it, I see it playing out very well. For, uh, for Alec Pierce in his rookie season. He's going to have a ton of opportunity in that offense. And I think Matt Ryan, should they get on the same page chemistry-wise very quickly here in the offseason before we head into the training camp, he should be able to explode and continue progressing as a receiver, Alex. That's the biggest thing here with Alec Pierce is he's only played about 18 to 24 full months as a committed to this position wide receiver in the college football ranks. So the fact that he gets to go to Indianapolis right up the road and keep developing with former Colt legend Reggie Wayne as the at the wide receiver coach position, I think it's just a it's a I think one of the best fits of the draft and definitely in my opinion the best fit of any Bearcat, even better than Sauce Gardner to New York City because there aren't quite obviously as high of expectations for Alec Pierce and so as opposed as a fifty third pick as opposed to Gardner at number four. Not only, not only that, but Alec Pierce played college football at Cincinnati, obviously. He's from Chicago, so it's kind of right in the middle in terms of his hometown and where he went to school. And I want to take this to the other side of the ball because I think an underrated, the most underrated player in this draft class, Russ, Brian Cook. But we know Tyron Matthew just left Kansas City for the New Orleans Saints. I think Brian Cook can step right in and make an immediate impact potentially on, on a Chiefs defense that, quite frankly, needs um, a spark in their secondary, especially when they play the Bengals. What do you think? I'm with you 100%. Another one of those great fits for a Bearcat. Honestly, I didn't. I don't think there was really one bad fit for the Bearcats draft class when you think about once you get to the end of the day two, day three type of picks, you're just trying to find a home at that point to be able to get on a roster. But this is another great selection here and a great fit for the Kansas City Chiefs and Brian Cook. He's just going to be asked to come in there and lay down the wood, lay down a strong, hard-nosed mentality for this defense. I could see him fitting really well in that secondary, and we'll just have to wait and see how much that hard-hitting prowess carries over to the National Football League and how much that nose for tackles for loss can carry over as well. He was dynamite in that respect last year, cutting off angles so well before ball carriers could get to the line of scrimmage and get upfield. He is one of the smartest players on this entire Bearcats team, was one of the smartest players on this Bearcats team, and I'm sure he'll be one of the most intelligent players on that Kansas City Chiefs roster. And they agree with me using one of their uh, many 
top 100 picks on Brian Cook at the end of that second round. All right, so coming up, Russ, we're going to switch gears. We're going to go to the hardwood because what Wes Miller and this program are doing, I think is setting them. I think they are setting themselves up for much more success in year two, and for sure, once they get into the Big Twelve in twenty twenty three, that's going to come up next. But first, I'm going to tell everybody about BetOnline.net, your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. You can find all of the latest. Sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, and I'm going to make a bet here, Russ. And for those listening, there will be more fans at the first Bengals regular season home game than there will be at the remaining Reds home games combined this year. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. Russ Heltman from All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, WMKV 89.3 radio show host and producer. You can follow him on Twitter if I can, uh, at Russ Heltman 11. And we're going to switch gears. I want to switch gears, Russ, to the hardwood because let's start with the obvious. Four-star commit. Number one recruit in the state, Rayvon Griffith, taking his talents to the University of Cincinnati. He's the first signee for the class of 2023, which means he's also the first signee of the Big 12 era for Cincinnati. I mean, just the many levels, excuse me, that this commitment has for this program, it's unbelievable. And what does it, just what exactly does it do? For Wes Miller and this program coming off a not coming off a down year last year, but now it feels like they're on the rise. It's the foundation. That's the word I would. That's the one word I would describe. The foundation is now laid, and now that foundation can grow, put up scaffolding, and we could build build the Sears Tower out here, Alex. You could build build the new Crew Tower out there in downtown Cincinnati or a Great American Building, as that is the uh, the newest leader for tallest. Part of our skyline here in the 513. It's a massive, massive commitment. Arguably the best commitment, biggest commitment for this program in the past 10 years. When you think about where they have been over the past three seasons to where they appear to be heading as we approach the entry into what will be in that first season, Alex, I I truly believe the most difficult basketball conference in the history of the NCAA overseeing this sport. That is the amount of talent that the Bearcats are entering in the Big 12 in 2023. I wouldn't be shocked if all 14 teams end up in the top 70 of Ken Palm, like like we saw uh, this past season with 10 teams from the Big 12 getting in the top 60 of Ken Palm. Kansas State being the worst one, and I think they might have been the one, one the one team outside the top 60 at like 66. But you get my point. It is going to be a gauntlet. You need to have a flag planted and a player that can help you carry that flag to all these different living rooms all across the country. Isaiah Collier, uh, the I forget the 2024 guard, uh, power forward from Walnut Hills, the number one player in Ohio right here in Cincinnati once again the following year. Rayvon Griffith, the number one player in Ohio in 2023. So when you think about when he committed months ahead of his original date in October and the ability that gives this program, Wes Miller and the rest of the coaching staff, to lean on him as a bastion and a staple of the team as they enter the Big 12, it's massive. That's the only word to describe it. It's massive, and it's a foundation for Wes Miller to truly start building on. Because, sure, the guys in this class 
Daniel Skillings, Josh Reese, Sage Tolentino, one of them could end up being right there with Oscar Robertson. It's it, You never know what's ha- what could happen with player development in college basketball. But this is an affirmation, the Rayvon Griffith signing is, that Wes Miller, in the first 12 months he's been here, 12 plus months, he is doing things the right way and the recruiting pavement is being hit the correct way by this coach and his staff. Does this solidify that? Because I, I think maybe there were some questions last year of did the Bearcats get the higher right with Wes Miller? I think it was so important for them to get it right after what happened with John Brandon. Does this solidify that, yes, Wes Miller is the right man for the job and the program is in good hands with him and this coaching staff? I think it a thousand percent solidifies it. And I, and I was one of those guys that never had a doubt that Wes Miller was going to be the right hire and the right guy to take the baton, the on fire, disheveled, disassembled baton from John Brandon and really try to turn this thing around. He has the right mentality. He's even keeled. He's got the right process. He's got the right coaching acumen. And all you wrap all those things together with an ability to recruit like he did at UNCG. And that there's a reason he was the number one winningest coach under 40 heading into his time with the Bearcats. You don't get there by accident. And I think he's shown that with more resources and with a higher level of notoriety that a school like Cincinnati brings, he can take a program that was in the depths, in the doldrums, to the moon. Now, we do need to see it come to fruition on the court. And we need to see it come to fruition in January and February when this team completely fell off and lost all the momentum they gained in the non-conference schedule. That has to improve and that has to be fixed. But hopefully, knock on wood, no COVID postponements this year, a relatively normal season for college basketball, no 10 games in 25 days or whatever that crazy stretch they went on in February was, get it back to normal and leave. No excuses or reasons as to why this team misses an NCAA tournament. For what I would believe, it would be four straight years that they have missed the NCAA tournament, almost unheard of in Bearcats basketball, modern history. Since 1990. I mean, yeah, I think. They have missed four straight. Is that what it is since 1990? They have. So you go back to 1992, which was the first time they made it under Bob Huggins. So they missed it from 2006 through 2010. Now, obviously, we know there there was a lot happening with the program at that time. But, I mean, that's. But, but hey, like that's a perfect that's a perfect historical time as a flat circle marker, Alex, where you have a four year dead period. And then who comes? Bob Huggins, the winningest coach in Bearcats history. You have a four-year dead period. And then who comes? Mick Mick Cronin, one of the top three winningest coaches. So there you go. On and on and on. The the, the history repeating itself is hopefully another good marker in that sense for the Bearcats. But hopefully that means more than one Sweet 16 appearance in, what, 20 years? Something like that, Russ? Yes, the, uh, the the fans would like to see if if uh, Dan Horde, who you, who was great on your podcast last week, Thank if you. he if he sees this as Yancey Gates and Mick Cronin and Rayvon Griffith and Wes Miller, if he sees the same kind of parallels there, we would surely love to see more than uh, one Sweet Sixteen appearance while Rayvon Griffith is here. Is here? Wouldn't argue with you, Sweet Sixteen appearance. You'll take whatever you can get right now as a Bearcats fan, but the championship banners that is that is something they would like to return to, or at least. Elite eight final four level play. And you mentioned, I, I mean, the big 12, the first season, the Bearcats are going to be in there. Holy smokes. I mean, I look at, I mean, the last two national champions have come from there, Kansas and Baylor. I mean, Texas tech, Mark Adams, seamless transition from 
Chris Beard to him his first season. Texas, Chris Beard goes there. They had a nice season this year. Iowa State's in good hands with TJ Otzelberger. I mean, they went from, what, 2-22 and 22 to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. I mean, it is just ridiculous how good that conference is going to be. But one addition, and he may have two years of eligibility, which means he would play in the first season of the Big 12, is Landers Nolly II. He comes from Memphis. I thought he was a thorn in the Bearcats' side the last two years whenever Cincinnati and Memphis would play. How do you see him fitting in with next year's team? Seamlessly. I think it's going to be a great addition. It's going to be, I think, an awesome boon for Nolly's basketball career. It's going to shoot him, in my opinion, right back up into one of those players that could get a G League outside NBA shot and is at least uh, a decent player at the European level. Because last year, it was just a... It was a total dumpster fire going on at Memphis. Yes, they made the NCAA tournament, but with the Imani Bates situation going on, all the drama that surrounded that, Landers Nolly gets caught up in it. He gets sent to the bench. His minutes are getting yo-yoed all around. Reset. Reset. Come to Clifton. You're going to have a defined role. We know Wes Miller is honest with his players. That's one of his greatest attributes as well. Never BSs his players. Always keeps it on the up and up there. And to me, that's just going to make it a freeing experience for Landers Nolly and really help this Bearcats team transition into the Big 12. I would, I would be, I mean, it would probably be great for UC if Nolly only uses one year of eligibility because that would mean he's averaging like 15 points per game and is getting a shot in the NBA or something if he gives up that last year and forgoes any more uh, NIL opportunities here in Cincinnati. But overall, you just want to see Nolly kind of get back to that confidence and that rhythm. That he had obviously in 2020 and 2021, and then with his uh, his first season as an All ACC freshman team uh, member with the Virginia Tech Hokies, and hopefully, hopefully for the Bearcats, Nolly is good but not too great, so that he doesn't fly the coop and uh, leave them hanging a little bit heading into the Big 12. Because, like you said, I mean, I said every team is going to be in the top 60 to 70. The only one I would say probably. No real hope of that in the basketball court is UCF when they join the conference. They will most likely be the, in the doldrums uh, that first couple seasons. But other than that, there are no easy outs in that conference, especially when you think like BYU, the independent, they were one of the better teams in uh, in the Mountain West going up against those teams and uh, in the WCC when they went up against Gonzaga throughout the years. So great program there in BYU, and it's a great football program as well. Final question. I wish we had more time because, as you said, what a freaking time for this school. Big 12 on the horizon. The Bearcats are going there in 2023. Most likely reports have been coming out. Bearcats draft class, phenomenal. The recruiting job that Wes Miller on the hardwood has done. Is this team, Russ, men's basketball next year, final season in the American, is this team right now a tournament team next year? I believe so, honestly, and I think that should be the expectation. When you think about the additions they brought in, you have Daniel Skillings, Josh Reed, Sage Tolentino. I would say it's it's expected that one of those guys becomes a strong rotation player. I would I would look at Skillings or Reed most likely to make that happen. It usually takes those big fellas a little bit longer to come along, but uh, you never know. Sage Tolentino, maybe he comes out and is a starting level player right now. There's definitely an opportunity in the front court with uh, with the shaky play of Jared Hensley and Victor Locken last year. So we'll see how that develops. And then the transfers. So much veteran experience and so much just stability 
brought to this roster in a Zikpi, uh, Landers Nolly, and Robert Fennessy. So to me, I see that as being a six-win improvement for their from their current uh, current state right now at 18 and 15. And if you go 24 and 9 and are right there in the top two to three of the AAC, then they should make the conference tournament. I see them. They, their goals should be they, – they, they're, they're going to say their goal is to win a national title, but I think fans' expectations should be kind of a similar style of pl- – not style of play, but style of winning and season trajectory as SMU last year. I think that's where you want to see – you want to see them getting close to the conference championship game in that conference tournament and being at least right there on the bubble or just inside the bubble once we get to Selection Sunday. Clip that. For uh, all Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, I know you put um, that clip of Dan Hoare comparing Rayvon Griffith to Yancey Gates. So, uh, Russ, it is always great to have you on. I wish we had more time, but one thing is for sure. Um, A, I know we'll be crossing paths again uh, before football season, and I, I am this close to, bl- to booking a flight to Fayetteville, so I'm sure I'll see you there. And B, one thing I know there will be next year on campus is a lot of dining Hawaiian. Sage Tolentino, his parents own that Hawaiian uh, food truck or whatever it is, Hawaiian, maybe a restaurant, but if you've never had it, highly recommend. Dine there you in go. Hawaiian. You, you there can you ask, go. A little um, shout out for the Tolentino family business. Yeah, I love you that. Can a- you can ask Chad Brendel of Bearcat Journal about that. He'll tell you, he might tell you about it for a whole hour, but you won't regret it. <laughs> no, Chad, Chad has good taste in food. I will trust you on that for sure. We do know that. Um, Russ Elman of All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated joining me today on Locked On Bearcats. Russ, thank you. Uh, best wishes to you and uh, keep up the great work at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated. Appreciate it, Alex. You do the same here on Locked On Bearcats. We'll be in touch. Thank, thank you. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Frankie underscore Natty with two N's and an You can follow me on Instagram, Alex Frank Nine underscore, or email me at alex3frank at gmail.com. Don't forget, if you're watching on the Locked On Bearcats YouTube channel, to subscribe, like, and share a comment. And if you're downloading from an audio platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast to like, share, comment, and give it a rating. All of that helps more Bearcats fans like you find this podcast. Thanks for making excuse me, Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. Now get all of your daily Big 12 news in less than 30 minutes with Big 12 expert Josh Neighbors. Excuse me again. It's free and available everywhere you get your podcasts. For Lockdown Bearcats, I'm Alex Frank. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I will be back tomorrow here on Lockdown Bearcats.